2: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
0: Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio.
1: I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is Family Secrets. The secrets that are kept from us, the secrets we keep from others, and the secrets we keep from ourselves. In this bonus episode, we talk to Sam Dingman, the host of the podcast Family Ghosts. Family Ghosts is a documentary-style storytelling podcast investigating the true story behind a mysterious figure whose legend has followed a family for generations. Sam tells me about his family secret he aired on his podcast and the aftermath of telling it.
2: I guess to... Kind of summarize um, the story. Basically, what what it's about is I, in my memory, became aware at my grandmother's ninetieth birthday that there was, in addition to my dad and his two brothers, uh, both of whom I have known for my whole life, there was a third brother that I didn't know about, and that he. The reason I didn't know about him was because he had um, taken his own life when he was very young, when he was 18, Um, and that my dad had found the body um, when that happened. And I was told this, again, in my memory, not by my dad, but by my younger brother, Jake, who um, was at this particular moment of my grandmother's birthday also in a period of turmoil, uh, in his life, again, in my memory. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember feeling in that moment, like perhaps there was some connection between the fact that this had happened to my father when my father was very young. And the fact that at that point in my life, I was in my mid twenties at the time. Um, I felt like this relationship of closeness and trust and, intimacy that I had, that I recalled having with my dad when I was a kid, um, had eroded. And I wondered if perhaps by exploring the story of Dick and taking the opportunity to actually talk to my dad about it and, and connect with him about it, I might be able to hit upon what was at the root of the erosion of our relationship with each other. and uh, so. The rest of the episode is basically my attempt to do that.
1: I'm just wondering whether you think, Sam, that part of the erosion with your father, you know, during those years leading up to that point, it seems like it had something to do with your father just kind of retreating, you know, becoming just more distant, more, you know, sort of less engaged with you in some way. And whether, I don't, I don't want to push this idea, but like whether you think that that distance, that lack of engagement, actually, this is interesting. I mean, you were a young man at this point, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, when your father was a young man, he had gone through a really, really hard thing. Um, yeah. And lost his brother and his brother took his life as a a very young man. And maybe that whole period of time in a life, you know, felt like, you know, unconsciously, like some kind of repetition for your father of like, I just can't, I can't be close to someone at this age.
2: Does that make any sense? It does make sense. And, uh, you know, as you're saying, I I don't, I don't want to push that necessarily either, because I, I don't know if that's what was going on for him, but you're hitting on something which has been very profound for me in the aftermath of this story, which is that one of the things that's difficult for me about this story is that I don't know that I did a good enough job of considering my dad's emotional journey and all the possible ways that he might have experienced my young adulthood and adulthood based on what he'd been through at the time that I was working on the story because I was working so hard to understand my own feelings. And in doing that, I think, well, I, I had a, um, a very powerful experience actually in the aftermath of telling the story. And maybe I'll just tell you about it because I think it'll be a, a useful, uh, or useful illustration of this, which is this is going to sound unrelated, but it isn't. I am a a huge baseball fan. It's something that I talk about a lot in the story. That's something that I get from my dad. It's a big thing that we have shared about a lot over the years. Um, And I, now that I live in New York, um, can't watch my beloved Baltimore Orioles on TV unless I pay for um, a subscription to this thing called MLB TV, uh, which allows you to watch games out of market. And one of the things that...
1: I know all about it. I've got two, got two Red Sox fans in my house, so...
2: Okay, okay. So you yeah. know of what I speak. <laughs> um, and one of the things that is a blessing and a curse about MLB TV is not only can you watch the games out of market, but you can watch them on tape delay. So you can start the game from the beginning um, as though at whatever time you want. So since I often get home from work kind of late at night, say 9 or 10, um, one thing that I will often do is make myself a late night dinner and sit down and watch the Orioles game from the beginning, uh, having studiously avoided the internet all uh, evening so that I don't know what happens in it and then watch it as though um, it's happening in real time. And so it was opening day of the 2018 season, and I came home from work and I sat down to do exactly that. Um, And I got a text message from my dad around the time I I sat down to do this. And at this time, um, things were a little rough between me and my dad in the aftermath of the story Um, because I think it it was exposing in a way that he was not expecting it to be. And it had resulted in this scenario where I I would get a little pang of fear when I would get a text message from him or a voicemail from him because I was afraid that he was going to be upset. And it was opening day and I had had a long day at work and I just really wanted to watch the game and not engage with anything resembling an anxious or negative thought. Um, And so I I didn't look at the text message. And I watched the Orioles game, which, if memory serves, went extra innings. Um, But if it wasn't extra innings, the way that it ended was on a walk-off home run by Adam Jones, who was one of my favorite players and uh, obviously the most dramatic possible way for a baseball game to end, let alone an opening day baseball game. And so Adam Jones hits this home run. I'm feeling thrilled. I'm feeling relieved from all this tension that had built up during the game. And I, I think to myself, okay, it's it's finally okay to look at this text message from my dad. And when I look at the text message, it says, uh, it, it's two music note emojis, um, which I didn't even know he knew how to use emojis. And it says, walk off. And then um, there's a follow-up message that says, Oops, please disregard this message if you are watching the game on tape delay. And I don't know what it was, but... I didn't... Um, sorry, I haven't really talked about this before, but um, I just was overwhelmed by how considerate that was on his part, and the fact that he remembered that that might be something that I was doing today... And even if he remembered it after the fact, he wanted to write and let me know that he remembered. And I looked at this message and I just started crying and crying and crying in this way that I have... I don't know if I've ever cried like that before. And I just kept saying this phrase out loud over and over again. My girlfriend at the time was there, thankfully, and was kind of talking me through this. and was understandably a little confused about why I was having this huge response to this seemingly benign text message. But it was that, I think, it made me realize that there were so many things, so many ways over the years when my experience of our relationship was that it was eroding or growing distant. There were all these ways that I think he was trying to reach out, and I wasn't seeing it. And I wasn't welcoming it because I wanted to go back to the way things were when I was 15 and 16 years old. And I wanted him to be reaching out in the ways that he did then, which, you know, maybe is valid or maybe isn't valid, but it closed me off to the reality that he was in a lot of ways trying to reach out to me as an adult and as a peer. Um, And somebody who cared about me not as a teenager anymore, but as a grown person, and that I had been so busy trying to, to tell this other story that I had missed all of that and been so, in a way, I was the one who had been denying him this form of connection that he was looking for. And I just felt awful about it.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and also I imagine because you were underestimating him, right, in that moment, you were like that this text message could be anything, right? Um, just that feeling, the feeling of like, maybe this is going to be something I don't want to read. And it's, and it ends up being, well, in fact, you didn't want to read it because it would have, uh, he wouldn't have been able to have watched the game quite in (laughs) the same way, but, but you didn't Mm -hmm. want to read it. Not, not for those reasons, but because you were a little, you know, a little afraid of, of, of what, you know, what, what it might contain.
2: Yeah. And he was just, he was just trying to say hi, you know, and I see you. I mean, you know, the subtext of that was, I see you. (laughs)
1: I see you. Yeah. And I mean, so much of that episode to me actually is you, you know, about you wanting him to see you. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, there's, there's this kind of, it's almost like a difference in your emotional temperatures, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. your emotional temperature around this discovery about um, Uncle Dick is, is highly emotionally charged and, you, you know you want to know everything that you possibly can um, about Uncle Dick. And, and there's a very moving part of the episode where you actually go to the place um, where he took his own life um, and you know have this experience of, you know kind of attempting to and feeling like you do connect with him in some way. Um, and it's mm-hmm. very, very emotionally charged for you. And then on the other hand, there's your dad, um, who says at one point, um, in a very, like, the opposite of highly emotional charged, right, um, way, he says regarding the experience that he had with with his brother, I never felt it was highly formative. And, you know, when I heard him say that, I didn't believe that for a second, but I believed that he believed it. And, and I wondered about the... Um, just the emotional cost. I mean, I wonder about this all the time, in 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 all of the episodes of family secrets, and in and in my own life, and with my own family secret that I discovered. You know, there's there is um, a price that is paid f- it for that kind of stuffing down, you know, of of something um, so important, and just rent deciding that it's not formative, deciding that it. Um, it's in the past, and we're going to leave it there.
2: Yeah. I agree, and I I think, I mean, this brings up such an important question in the work that, if I may, both of us do, and that it it sounds like we both think about a lot, which is when you are the person, whether we're talking about um, my dad or my mom or any of the the people who um, from the past who are wrestling with these things in the moment— um, that become secrets or become ghosts. Something that I'm always wrestling with and trying to figure out the significance of is that person in that moment in the past doesn't feel like they have a choice. The choice is I can either be undone by this trauma uh, that is, well maybe traumas, I guess traumas, not the right word there. I can be undone by this thing that has happened. I can be completely washed away into the, the sea of my emotions that are too big to comprehend, or to at this often formative age when you know on some level instinctively that you don't have the emotional equipment to do that, to just go onward and um, the fact that they made the choice to go onward is oftentimes why people in our position or, you know, the people that we tell stories about position to look back in the first place because this person in that moment made the decision to continue the family in some way. Um, and that led to our birth and development and emotional maturity um, to even know that there might have been another path in that moment or that there is something unfinished related to that incident that happened. And so it can be tempting to judge them for the choice they made at that time to just push through and keep going. But that is a that is a privilege of not having our survival predicated on that on that choice um, and I think it's important I guess probably to note here that th- there's a difference of degrees you know um, sometimes the secret from the past is um, something that might have been like a crime or something that you know people should be held to count for some kind of violence or, or something like that and I guess that would color this a little bit differently but when it's something like a traumatic experience that a parent went through just to keep it in that realm um, it, it's a very odd position to be in, to be a descendant of this this parent and the, the person that they had their experience with when they were young, and to feel like it's important to go back and understand the truth of what happened, but I don't judge you, parent, for making the choice you made at the time. Like, that's a weird space to, to exist in. Does that make sense?
1: It, it, it makes perfect sense to me. There... There's a moment in um, Inheritance, my memoir, where mm-hmm. I'm like in the middle of all of this discovery about my parents and the choices that they made, and uh, I feel very betrayed that such a huge secret about my own identity was kept from me. And then I'm, I'm in a lecture, I was in Miami actually at a lecture, and the author uh, who was giving a lecture spoke about presentism. And it wasn't something that I had thought a lot about, presentism. I wasn't even sure I knew exactly what he meant. And I ended up uh, reading reading up uh, quite a bit on presentism. And, and essentially, um, it would be defined as um, judging the past through the lens of the present. So the lens of everything that we now know, psychologically, emotionally, intellectually, societally, culturally, um, and ascribing those qualities to the the people in the past who made whatever choices that they did. And it was a real sort of light bulb moment for me. Um, And I realized that part of my work in understanding as much as I possibly could Um, about the past, about my parents, was going to be in being able to see them as the human beings that they were before me. And I think that that's part of the work of maturity, full stop, you know, not just writing Mm -hmm. about it or making podcasts about it, but actually (laughs) um, moving through life in general is to be able to see the people that you come from as people and not um, just as as mom and dad. And, um, and, and what you're saying too, you know, I used to think that the phrase, you know, she did the best she could, you know, he did the best he could that sort of, you know, they did the best they could. I used to think that that phrase was just pure, um, cliche or, um, like that it didn't really mean anything, but I've actually come to think that it does mean something. People, people generally do the best they can. Yeah. And whatever that means uh, with what life has handed them at the time uh, that life has handed them, whatever's on their plate. And then, you know, time goes on and there absolutely are after effects and ripple effects of um, the choices that were made and the choices to get on with things. And the people who hold those, you know, who hold all that usually is the next generation or even the generation after Um, you know, it's, it's not as if it goes away. Um, I think what we're talking about though, is the, is the judging, which is ultimately toxic. And, and as you said, also, it depends on, it depends on what we're talking about. Uh, judging can be completely reasonable in certain situations, but in terms of what we're talking about of people dealing with family tragedies, really. Um, and, making, making choices that they're going to, you know, this is very much true with Holocaust survivors. You hear so many, so many children of survivors. The parents never wanted to talk about it ever. That was then, this is now, life goes on. Of course, the children then inherited that and want, you know, and wanted and needed ultimately to know more. But, you know, for the parents, it was um, I can't talk about this because if I talk about this, I'm going to lose my mind. So we're not going to do that. Yeah. We're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna build a new life.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you so much about this, and um, I I think at the risk of coming across as self-aggrandizing or something, um, I I think that it's an important part of. I don't want to claim that you know this is. And impact that my work is having. But the reason I think it's that telling these stories and, and telling them in a responsible way matters is because I think it's a very important way of understanding history and humanity. There's a moment
1: l- late in the episode about your Uncle Dick where you say to your father, I'm sick of hiding behind the curtain. And... Um, or maybe you don't say it to him, maybe it's in narration, but you you say, I'm sick of hiding behind the curtain. That's what I needed him to hear. And, you know, I'm thinking about that in relation to the story that you told about uh, the texts, because really, you wanted Poppy to see you. and And you wanted to see Poppy. And that's really it. That's really all we're ever asking of each other is, um, and that's where that's where secrets become so corrosive and toxic because they prevent us from being able to actually see and be seen um, but it's this, it's this it's a really it's a really moving moment and, it, and it's and it's a funny moment too because you're in the studio with him and he's you know and you're having this emotional moment with your dad and he says you know it's weird to be in this setting talking about all this stuff with the microphones and the headphones and you know can we can we just give each other a hug somehow without you know it was, it was such a great moment
2: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. He, I think he says, um, he says, I feel like I'm in a New Yorker cartoon or something. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, but you know, I, I just, I resonate so much with, with what you said about this, this fundamental question of that we're all asking each other is like, I think I see you. Do you see me? Um, and it makes me think of an experience that I had in another conversation about the show. Um, that felt really formative for me in terms of trying to always have a better understanding of what I'm trying to do and what the best way to do it is. And this person said to me, and this is somebody whose opinion about art and storytelling. I respect very, very deeply, but they said that they had a hard time with the show because they expected it to be quirkier. They, they, they thought that it, they saw that it was going to be a show called family ghosts and they expected it there to be quirky characters and, Um, to be more darkly comedic, I guess, in some ways. And I felt like I completely understand that as an expectation because a lot of times when we see storytelling about families, that is a tweak that is placed on the narrative um, for whatever creative reason the people telling that story decide to do it. But that a lot of these things are difficult to sit with and, and adding an element of quirk makes it easier to sit with but is not necessarily true to the impulse of conveying the weight of a secret or the weight of a ghost um, about which there is often nothing quirky or funny. <laughs> um, and that that's a... I'd like to lean into that space to whatever extent I'm capable of in this kind of storytelling, not to a point that it makes a listener uncomfortable and want to tune out, but to a point that pushes past the desire to say uh kooky uncle, whoever, but actually think what were the decisions that uncle, whoever was faced with? Is there any way that I can understand circumstances he was in when he made them, and think about how that's affected me.
1: Right, right. Because ultimately, leaning into those moments is not about going darker or, you know, more <laughs> sinister, or it's in fact, kind of the opposite of that. Because um, in, in staying with that place that might be a little bit uncomfortable, you know, where um you know a little levity and a little quirk might just make everybody be like oh, okay well that was you know we're, we're good now um <laughs> is 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 actually where we we end up connecting and it's 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 where um we you know the listener the the reader the um you know this is this is where i think people uh end up feeling like oh right this is this is the real stuff. I've got this stuff too, and 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 it makes people feel a little bit better about, you know, themselves and a little bit less alone in the world, because we all have it.
2: Yeah, it's 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 in. Uh, this, that's the tagline of our show: is every house is haunted. Um, it's it's in it's in all of us, and it's in it's in every family, and a huge part of the impetus for me in wanting to do a project like this was, um, the first acting class that I ever took. When I got to college, I had this professor who was one of those, one of those professors in whatever discipline, although I think there's a lot of them in theater classes who just completely remakes your perspective on the world, you know, with some tossed off phrase that they probably didn't even think about that carefully, but he was talking to us about, um, the great dramas in um, theater, not just American theater, but um, world theater throughout history, and he said all the greatest dramas begin with the family. And he said this is true of Clifford Odets when he's talking about struggling, you know, depression or post-depression era families in Hell's Kitchen in New York City, or whether we're talking about. Um, The Greek tragedies or uh, the Shakespearean histories, these are all families struggling to confront the secrets and ghosts that live in their houses. And it was a huge moment for me to hear him say that because it somehow made a connection between why stories like that, for me personally, have always felt so magnetic and revelatory and like I have to ruminate on them for days and days afterwards because they feel like they've stirred something up um, as opposed to I've never been somebody who's drawn to uh, fantasy or action or um, even comedy to a certain extent. Uh, I can enjoy all those things, but but family stories um, in fiction have always really really pulled at me and i think there was this this realization when he said that that the reason that's happening is because they're coming from this thing that is real and lives inside of all of us and whether it's fictional or not that that imprinting is coming through and, in in this type of storytelling and so I was really interested in this question of what if you removed the fictional layer from that? what if you what if you tried to tell the kinds of stories that might prompt that sort of fictional storytelling could you could you find could you find something else? Could you find something very rich? Um, and with that, there's this challenge, right which is... If it's a fictional story, you get to make up the ending and you you get to you get to arrange the 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 events of the story in such a way that they have the maximum emotional weight and time after time in our work on family ghosts, when we're sorting through something you know all the tape that we have for a story, we come up against this question of you know well, this would be the most dramatic way of structuring this, but is it what really feels true to the person whose story we're telling um is it actually it might be the most interesting way of telling the story, but is it what is actually shaping this person's way forward in the world? Um, and that element of things I think is it it's a real leap of faith because you're having to trust that people will resonate it with the way in you've in the way that you've described, which is. I feel less alone because I recognize the inner quest that this person is on.
1: Yeah, and and you know, there's the intimacy of this form that I think allows for that, um, and more than more than any other form, um, it it allows for, you know, that sense that um, you know someone is. Listening, people. Don't, I mean, I don't think people tend to listen to podcasts in groups. It's it's a very, <laughs> it's not a communal experience. You know, it's often like a lit- like literally in your head with you know AirPods on, and so there's something very intimate about that. And um, and I think I think too that there's um, a desire that we all have in this world where everything is being shaped constantly. Um, and being curated and edited and, uh, you know, our experience walking through the world is being curated and edited in, in ways that we often aren't even aware of. Um, where, mm-hmm. When something actually is sort of hewing as closely as possible to the real uh, and the true, um, that there's something for, for me I know, you know, selfishly, that that's what I want to hear. Uh, so th- th- that is therefore what I want to do. Um, because it feels um, uh, like you know the, the 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 richest possible storytelling is the storytelling that is hewing as close to experience as, as 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 we can.
2: Yeah, I think about it a lot of times like um you know, there's this ridiculous and I think, I'll just go ahead and say toxic for society (laughs) phenomenon of metrics associated with tweets. Like when somebody puts out a tweet, um, there's these numbers that appear underneath it to measure the relevance of it. And I think Mm -hmm. it creates this um, emotional ecosystem where people feel like they need to express themselves in this particular format in such a way that it gets the highest scores and, you know, speaks to the broadest possible number of people so that those numbers will be as high as possible. And I think something that is wonderful about both listening to a podcast or a radio story um, and telling that story is that It's like, you know, even though in speaking into the microphone, you're theoretically addressing any number of people, in that moment, you're only talking to one person, the the person who's listening. Um, And as the listener, even though you know that a million other people might be listening to this episode, the person you're listening to, it's like they're only talking to you.
1: I'd like to thank Sam Dingman, for telling us his story today. You can find this episode detailing his family secret, None of Your Business, on Family Ghosts Podcast. And you can find out more about Sam and listen to season two of the podcast on familyghostspodcast.com.
0: For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results.
2: The cat Zumo Play.